0: Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining me in the time machine. I wanted to take a quick trip back to the beginning of the COVID pandemic and just kind of see what's going on. I have the time machine set to, ooh, I don't know, around March of 2020. It's not a very precise time machine but well we're here now so let's see who can we talk to uh you obvious man from pennsylvania what's going on in your state right now as of this afternoon we have 33 pennsylvanians who have tested positive for covid 19. oh okay and what about you other dude uh how many cases in michigan there are now 33 confirmed cases of the coronavirus in michigan Huh, what a coincidence. And how many do we have in Louisiana? There are now 33 cases in Louisiana. All right. Well, that's strange. But how many do we have in Arkansas? Currently, there are 33 confirmed cases in Arkansas. Well, I'll be a monkey's uncle. 33 in all of them. And what about the rest of you? 33
1: 33 33 33 33 33 33 33 33 33 33 33 33 new cases of the coronavirus
0: Welcome back to Conspiracy Guide. My name is Sean and I will be your survivor conspiracy guide. Yes, I survived COVID-19. Please hold your applause. I'm really not a hero. Okay, if you insist. I I guess I am. I got COVID 33 times and I survived it 33 times. (laughs) And uh, actually, if you're listening, I I guess you uh, probably survived COVID, too. But let's not count our chickens before they hatch, because we are still under a federal emergency for COVID-19 until May 11th. Yeah, which is exactly 33 days from now. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's not 33 days. I actually have no idea uh, how many days. From now, May 11th is. But anyway, the number 33, if you're not aware, it's very significant in conspiracy theory communities because uh, in Freemasonry, the highest level that you can achieve is called a 33rd degree Mason. So in secret societies and um, in conspiracy theory circles, the number 33 is uh, very significant. And one of the other heavy hitters in the conspiracy theory community, actually, I think I just referred to myself there as a heavy hitter, Um, not one of the other. um, I'm not a heavy hitter yet, but I'm certainly trying to get there. But Eddie Bravo, who is a heavy hitter in the conspiracy theory community now, um, he says that 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 33 number that we kept seeing in all the news reports about covid cases in 33 states and 33% higher this and that well that was like red team go red team go it was like the signal that the pandemic drill was going live and um, and i like that it it kind of makes sense because when you start to pay attention to the number 33 you start to see it everywhere in fact this last week I just saw it. And it was an article about the UN, which is essentially the throne of global evil. The UN was saying that North America has a 33% increased obligation to uh, climate agendas than the rest of the world. Now, how do you even measure an obligation to climate agendas. I have no idea, but the UN says here in North America, our obligation is 33% higher. So anyway, just look out for 33. You're going to see it everywhere. I promise. Anyway, before we get started, I have to give a big shout out to mystic Mark. Uh, Mark has a podcast called my family thinks I'm crazy. It's a really good podcast. And, um, the, the reason I got to give him a shout out is because I actually was able to meet him in person and he gave me a tour of the Yale campus. And it was really cool because he knows about all the, um, esoteric and mystery origins of Yale university and, uh, like skull and bones club and, um, scroll and key and book and snake and all of these secret societies that are there anyway uh it was a really awesome tour i love taking tours and uh, especially uh tours that are are showing you kind of the information that not everyone gets it was very cool mark is a really cool guy he does these tours every once in a while so if you're in connecticut and you're interested in that kind of stuff um search him. Uh, I'll leave a link to his website in the show notes and give his uh, podcast a listen because it's really, really good. And if you're interested in Skull and Bones and Secret Societies, he's actually doing a deep dive into that on his Patreon. So again, I'll leave a link to that and a uh, big shout out to to Mark for taking me on that tour. Also got to give a big shout out to the listeners because as always, this, uh, podcast is breaking its own records and it's not because of me because I'm terrible on the social medias and it's not because of the algorithms. So it must be getting shared. It must be getting searched. It must be getting, uh, reviewed and rated. So thank you guys for that. Really, really appreciate that. All right. So we did it, everyone. We made it. That's right. We made it three years to slow the spread. Three years to flatten the curve. We just passed it on March 16th. So um, what exactly did we slow the spread of? (laughs) Um, What exactly did we flatten? I mean, other than the economy and uh, possibly the EKGs of people on ventilators. Anyway, like me. You probably have COVID fatigue and you're like, why is there another podcast about COVID? Why do we need to talk about COVID again? And I get it. But we have to talk about COVID. It's more important than ever to talk about it right now so that we can look back and see what happened. Because right now, right now in the news, everyone is talking about the lab leak. So we went from, you know, bat soup with pangolin meatballs or whatever the hell it started out as. And now, now everyone just agreed that it came out of a lab. Of course it came out of a lab, right? Because there was a lab right there. Well, as I mentioned, I think in the last podcast, I don't think either of those options is actually what happened. And I think the lab leak is a giant red herring meant to keep you thinking that COVID-19 was actually some kind of virus, but it was not. It was not a virus, it was not an illness, it was an operation. And so, um, my goal in this episode is to tell the story of COVID-19, the fake pandemic, without making any commentary on the disease, the illness, or the virus, and just focus on the things that could have existed the way they did without any external or novel pathogen. So uh, I'm going to present the evidence. I'm going to show that the experience that we lived through over the last three years could have happened without anything new uh, as far as a, uh, a virus or a sickness or anything like that. Now, I do have my theories about COVID as an illness because people did get sick and it seemed to be a little bit different than what we have experienced in the past, but that's not, I'll talk about that in another show. That's not what I'm going to talk about today. Today is just about how they pulled off the scam. So when COVID started, I was paying very, very close attention. I know we all were kind of paying really close attention because it's kind of the only thing you could focus on, but I was trying not to pay attention to the uh, the fear and the propaganda, which I obviously knew to expect, but I was trying to pay attention to whatever information I could get my hands on um, about the uh, illness itself, because at the time, my career was in site safety and industrial safety. I had, or I still have a a New York city, uh, uh, superintendent's license, a construction health and safety technicians license, and all of the OSHA certifications that come with, uh, with that position and, um, all the industrial safety aspects of that. And so, excuse me. And, um, infection hazard is actually part of, uh, the purview of, of my job because you have a big concentrations of people on these, uh, large job sites that I was running. So anyway, I was trying to pay really close attention because it was something that could obviously affect what I was doing for a living. So, so where did COVID come from? Uh, that, that in, in the very early parts of COVID, um, uh, we were kind of all wondering what was happening. Uh, where is it coming from? What's the origin of it? Because it just came out of nowhere, right? This thing just, uh, just happened to spontaneously combust in a bowl of soup in China or something like that, right? There was no way we could have known and everyone was just caught completely off guard, right? Except no, not really. No, not really. Um, Because there were a bunch of exercises that happened in the years prior. And nobody was really paying attention to these. Obviously, uh, like everyone else, I found out about these after the fact. But in the previous few years to the COVID-19 pandemic, there was a bunch of exercises happening. And let me just go through a few of them here. Now, the first one is uh, SPARS, and that's an acronym. And, um, oh, I should have written down what SPARS stands for. It's an acronym for uh, oof, something, something, respiratory syndrome. Anyway, that happened in October of 2017, and it was put on by Johns Hopkins. Ugh. And uh, it was about a coronavirus. And it was all about how they could come out with new vaccines and how they could convince people to take those vaccines. And now, maybe we got uh, maybe we got COVID a little early because that uh, actual scenario was supposed to take place in 2025. Now, the next one, the next pandemic exercise that happened, was called Clade X. And this was again, it was Johns Hopkins. And this was in May of 2018. And uh, this is another one of those roundtable exercises where all the scumbags get together and plan out their wish list for pandemics. And anyway, this one, Clade X, featured a, uh, a whopping 900 million deaths from a similar virus. Now, I'm sure that all the scumbags were just slobbering and licking their lips at that 900 million number. Ooh, they could hardly stand it. It was just so exciting. Oh, they couldn't wait. They couldn't wait for that. The, uh, the next one, uh, because there's more, but wait there's more. (laughs) Uh, The next one was called Crimson Contagion. And this one took place between January and August of 2019. And you know what? It just happened to be a pandemic that came out of China. And also, hmm, there was not enough medical supplies in this particular scenario. Huh? How funny. You would think after this one happened, they would just, uh, I don't know, spin up the, uh, medical supply machines and make sure that didn't happen. Nah, that's not really what happened. All right. Then, then the last and final, uh, that happened before the COVID-19 pandemic was called event two Oh one. And this was in October of 2019. And this one was put on mostly by none other than the bill and Melinda Gates foundation and, Oh, gee, I guess just by chance, it featured a coronavirus that came from bats. Wow. Wow. Isn't that an amazing coincidence? So there were a lot of exercises. So wouldn't you think they would have been prepared for COVID-19? Yeah, I think they would have been more prepared, but you know what? Those exercises weren't about being prepared and they certainly weren't about the health of the population. What were they doing in those exercises? Well, they were wargaming things like messaging and practicing propaganda and figuring out how they would control social media and make sure that there wasn't any vaccine misinformation that would cause vaccine hesitancy. That's the kind of stuff that they went over in these exercises because clearly they weren't preparing to stop a pandemic because we had one but they certainly were practicing how to get us to take vaccines and how to make us believe that we were in the midst of a pandemic. So anytime you see Johns Hopkins and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and the CIA and the World Economic Forum doing something because they love us, we should run the opposite direction because they don't love us. <laughs> they are planning our demise. <laughs> oh, they planned all these scenarios, and then they just sat back and they were like, "Oh my God, I'm shocked there's a bat coronavirus coming out of China. <laughs> it's so crazy. It's so crazy. Anyway, anyway, uh, let's just say, <laughs> Let's just let's just say for fun that uh, that I had the habit of well, I don't know say I, say I was setting up bear traps all around my house. Just I had this obsession to set up bear traps like a like a constant perimeter of bear traps all around my house there's not really a threat of bears at all where I live and there haven't been in the past, but let's just say I uh, am obsessed with preparing for this and I tell everyone around me, you got to prepare for the bear attacks. And, um, let's just say, let's just say I said, um, in, in, uh, in the next couple of years, there's going to be a vicious, vicious spat of bear attacks. <laughs> and then, and then after I've done all that, what do you know? We just have a whole bunch of bear attacks. Wouldn't people be suspicious? Do you think they'd have some questions for me? They're like, hey, wasn't that dude talking about like bear attacks and then setting up traps? And wasn't he the guy that makes the bear traps? And then wait a sec, all those bears started attacking right when he said, you think they might be curious as to what I was up to? Yeah, I think we should probably have a similar level of suspicion to the people who were planning the pandemics. Oh, geez. Anyway, enough about my crazy bear story. But like uh, Babe Ruth and calling his shots. Well, what did Anthony Fauci in 2017 say? He said there is no doubt that Donald D- J. Trump will be confronted with a surprise infectious disease outbreak during his presidency and that's a quote boy I guess it was a surprise to us but I don't think it was a surprise to him I mean when was the last serious infection outbreak or pandemic was it like 2000 or uh, sorry 1918 or something like that that's a pretty big spread I would say that Fauci Fauci nailed it on that one But, you know, it doesn't sound like a surprise at all. It sounds like the scumbags had a plan. And uh, right after the scenarios, right after Fauci made his prediction, in fact, just three months after that event 201, we had something suspicious come out of China. Ooh, what could it be? And and how did we know? How do we know there was this scary thing coming out of China? What did we get at first? Well, we had we had videos of people just dropping dead in the streets. Do you remember those videos? Did you see those videos? Well, I wasn't buying it from the very beginning and that's because viruses don't do that. Viruses don't just uh you you know you don't just like breathe them in and all of a sudden you're dead walking along the street. So, it was obviously fake from the beginning. Those were ridiculous. So, we got the Chinese fear porn to create the panic, but but what exactly was it? What was this virus that was dropping people dead in the streets? Well, no worries, don't worry there. China has the answer for that too. And that's because, um, the, the benevolent and wonderful Chinese actually published the genetic sequence for the virus for us. So we didn't need to get uh, little vials of virus or anything like that. We just had the genetic code. We had the genetic sequence and, um, why not? You know what? No worries. I mean, it's China. They're, They're eating bats and pangolins right next to a bio lab, but you know, who cares? Whatever. They gave us the code. So, you know, we're good. We're good. No problem. Right? Well, actually, yeah, there is a problem and it doesn't matter where we, where we get the genetic code from, but you might assume like I said that when we are determining or isolating a virus or something like that we would take a a little uh, vial of it we'd we'd take some some uh, purified sample that has nothing but virus in there and we would we would go okay this right here is the virus and this is the code for it but that's not actually the way it works see the samples that we take are full of a bunch of stuff they take a sample of somebody's mucus or snot or some other bodily fluid and they they mix that around with a bunch of other stuff and then a uh we take a sequence of that of all of the uh, genetic sequence that's within that vial and then a computer a computer with all of its uh super computing power actually takes that jumbled mess of Uh, DNA or RNA sequences and pieces them back together for us. So, um, I know I said I wouldn't talk about the virus, but as you can see, if we are using a computer generated genetic code, you don't actually need a virus to get it anyway. You can get any genetic code. And that's kind of what we did because we just took China's word for it. So, um, Also, also the problem with taking a genetic code that's not from a pure sample, blah, 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 is that they used these genetic sequences to make the test, uh, to test for the virus. And so if you're, if you're using a genetic sequence that really could be anything, well, that genetic sequence could exist in people who aren't actually sick. And so there you find one of those ridiculous things that we got from the fake COVID pandemic. Do you remember asymptomatic spread? Yeah. So what they did was they used fake genetic code to make fake tests. And then when people started uh, testing positive with these fake tests, they had to make up a new thing. And they were thinking on the fly, but they came up with asymptomatic spread. So you know what? You may be infected with that virus and uh, you may not feel sick. You're perfectly healthy, but you're completely infected with that virus. Hmm. Sounds like they're just making shit up. Sounds like that's a new thing that never existed before. And they just had to cover their tracks because they made a test that doesn't work. So anyway, we'll get to some more of the tests later, but Um, But anyway, there you go. So now at this point, we have a fear campaign. We have a fabricated uh, virus sequence or genetic sequence. But really, how bad is it? How bad is it? And um, let's just say that you spent years and years and years Planning the perfect pandemic, you finally got some people scared. You put out the 33 code, you said, Red team, go! Red team, go! We're going live with this thing. But, but you gotta really scare people, you gotta get them scared so that they don't think. So, how you gonna do that? You gotta bring in the experts, gotta bring in the experts. So, how much do you think? It would cost to get you uh, somebody who would lie about the supposed virus and make it seem really, 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 really bad. After all, you planned this whole thing. You got all your drug company buddies chomping at the bit. So how much would it cost to pay somebody off to lie about this virus? How much do you think it would cost to buy off an epidemiologist? Like, like 500 grand? would it cost a million? How about 10 million? You think you could buy off an epidemiologist for $10 million? How about $585,194,816.99? Yeah. Yep. I think that would do the trick. I think that's the amount of money that you'd need. Because that's the amount that was paid to the Imperial College London in the 12 years leading up to the pandemic by two, let's say, very interested parties. So the Bill and Melinda Gates, again, paid $184 million to the Imperial College London. And, uh, you know, the uh, Bill and Belinda Gates foundation that just love making vaccines. They love shooting up children with poison. And you know what? They make a 10 times return on that poison. And you know what? They do it because they love you. They do it because they love you and philanthrocapitalism, capitalism. And because they're trying to sterilize you for a 10 X profit. And oh, so also the other, the other interested party was the welcome trust. The Welcome Trust paid $400 million to the Imperial College London. And if you're not familiar, the Welcome Trust is the, we'll call it the philanthropic arm of Burroughs Welcome. Burroughs Welcome was the company that made AZT. Now, what is AZT? AZT was a 1960s cancer drug that was shelved because it was deadly and toxic and because it had no real use. Well, in uh, in the 80s, they dusted that off and they gave it to AIDS patients and it became the most expensive drug of all time. And Anthony Fauci made that happen. So, So we we have two drug-slinging heavy hitters that need to produce a fake pandemic, and they know just who to call to get that favor. They call the homies at the Imperial College London, you know, the ones that you paid over a half a billion dollars to. Yeah, I think you'll get the numbers you want from that. So there's a guy named Neil Ferguson who works for the Imperial College London, and uh, he's just the guy for the, for the job. He's the uh, shameless and morally devoid pharma shill that you need to put out these uh, fake studies to lock down the world because that's just what he did. He issued a report that essentially gave us the lockdowns and gave us that nonsense like flatten the curve and slow the spread and two weeks to this and that. That all came from his report. The report is called Report 9, Impact of Non-Pharmaceutical Invent- in, uh, Interventions to Reduce COVID-19 Mortality and Healthcare Demand. So, yeah, we're going to reduce the healthcare demand and the mortality with non-pharmaceutical inventions, right? Yeah, like the ones that say, stay in your home and... Um, you know, slow the spread by not coming out of your house and cowering in fear. Well, that's what we got. And he said that 2.2 million Americans would die and that half a million Brits would die as a result of that report. And he also made a plea to Trump. He said, please, Mr. Trump, please do the lockdowns. Well, it's important to note that this prostitute of a man was also engaged in a little domestic prostitution himself. Yeah, while we were all locked down, he saw it fit to visit his mistress a lot. Yeah. Uh, Why? Because he knew it was all bullshit. You weren't allowed to visit your mistress, but he could do it because he knew. He knew it was nonsense and he knew that he was just called in to write that report by the rich foundations that were going to make even more money off of his bullshit report because they all knew they knew that this was just an operation and there was nothing to be scared of. Just like how Nancy Pelosi was allowed to go get her haircut, but you weren't allowed. No, you had to stay in your house because it was dangerous, but Nancy Pelosi was. All of 174 years old was able to go out and get her haircut because there was no threat. And uh, you weren't allowed to go have dinner at French Laundry with your rich buddies. But Gavin Newsom was. Now, he could do that because he knew that there was no threat. He wasn't scared of anything. He's not even scared of what of what people think about him because he knows voting is fake, too. And uh, what about Chris Cuomo? Remember, Chris Cuomo was supposed to be quarantining in his basement. Uh, that was until some guy caught a video of him um, riding his bike and yelling at him. So yeah, Chris Cuomo knew. He knew. He knew that there was no threat. He knew it was nonsense. And uh, what about Lori Lightfoot? Do you remember Lori Lightfoot had to go out and get her hair done? Remember, she said, I'm a public figure, so my hair has to look good. Uh, Lori, trust me, trust me, a hairdo ain't going to fix that, okay? Hairdo, that's the least of your worries. You can stay in with the rest of us. But she knew. She knew there was no threat. They all knew there was no threat because they were part of Red Team Go. <laughs> they were part of Team 33. They knew exactly what they were doing. They couldn't be bothered to follow the rules. That was for you that was for you. It wasn't, it wasn't for your safety though. No, it was a, it was a social control operation. So by the way, by the way, Neil Ferguson, that, that lying bitch of a man, uh, he also resigned in disgrace and he admitted that his, uh, that his numbers were wrong. You know, mistakes were made. Mistakes were made. Whoops. Whoops. We just ruined your life. Oops, we closed your business that you spent your life savings on. Whoops-a-daisy. Oops, we got a couple of numbers wrong. All right. Sorry about that. <clears throat> anyway. Uh, all right. So now where are we at? We have uh, we have all the all the planning. We have the fake videos. We have the fake news. We have the fake gene sequence. We have the fake epidemiology reports that made all the lockdowns. Now, If you're going to pull off a scam like this, you got to make it show up in the paperwork. You got to make sure it's on the final record. So how do you make all this bullshit turn into the official records? Well, do you need to actually kill a bunch of people? Do you need to actually make sure all these people die? Well, no, you don't actually need to kill a bunch of people because 7,500 people die every single day in America. So all you need to do... Is put a different name on their death certificate, put a different cause on their death certificate, and voila, you got a pandemic. So uh, this is a slick one, I have to admit. And uh, when you when you research the death certificate thing, you'll find debunking video after debunking video after fact checked after after fact check. And um, I'm going to try and explain it to you. It's a little bit complicated, but stick with me on this one. So. In April of 2020, the CDC posted a, we'll call it a memo called Guidance for Certifying Deaths Due to Coronavirus Disease 2019. Now, what this was, was it was a, I think it's about nine pages. Uh, We could go to the document cam. Again, Alex Jones with the document camp, because I have the, uh, I have the document. And so what it is, it's about nine pages and it's basically an instruction manual for how to fill out a death certificate during COVID-19. So there wasn't any major changes that were, that were in this, um, this new guidance. And so when you look into this, what you'll find is all the fact checkers saying they didn't change anything. The numbers aren't fake. Everything's good. So it's true, they didn't change much of the protocol, but it's what was implied in this guidance that changed everything. See, in the past, the way doctors and medical examiners and coroners or really anyone who certifies death, what they would do is, let's take flu, for example. A virus like the flu, uh, it's claimed that flu is... Underreported on death certificates, and the reason for that is because flu is rarely diagnosed. the The tests for flu are, uh, newsflash, the tests for flu are just as bad as the tests for COVID. But anyway, so um, the virus doesn't kill you, uh, at, at least as far as death certificates are concerned. The virus doesn't actually kill you. So the virus gives you pneumonia or it gives you acute respiratory disease, or it gives you acute respiratory acidosis or something. But let's just say viruses work differently. Let's just say the, the way that a virus attacked you was by hitting you over the head with a baseball bat. Let's just say that's the way viruses work. So if you were filling out a death certificate, you would list blunt force trauma as the cause of death not the virus and maybe you would list an underlying cause as a bat (laughs) not bat soup (laughs) no the baseball bat in this scenario so anyway anyway uh this is the way that death certificates were filled out for basically all of history before this time and so just a little side note since we're talking about flu i gotta say it um the flu really only kills or is presumed to kill about 2,000 people every year. So there's really only like 2,000 death certificates per year that actually list the flu. But pneumonia uh, kills 20 to 30,000 people. There's 20 to 30,000 uh, pneumonia deaths on these death certificates every year. And so what they do when they try and give you that flu death figure to scare you, they just lump Flu and pneumonia together, and that's how they try and convince people to get the flu shot. And so, uh, the 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 pneumonia actually uh, the pneumonia deaths they only test positive for flu about seven percent of the time. So so there you go. Uh, the the same situation we're talking about exists within flu. Sorry for that tangent there, but let's get back to the death certificates. So. Generally, in the past with flu, um, the the flu would get listed in part two. Part two of the death certificate is the contributing factor section. And part one of it is is the section for, for the cause of death or the underlying cause of death. So keep that in mind. So when this memo came out for COVID-19, which is a virus, or so they say, it should have been treated much like the flu has always been treated up until this point on death certificates. But but the new guidance came with uh, three examples. So there's three uh, example death certificates filled out. And all three of those examples show COVID-19 in section one section one, which is the cause of death or the underlying cause of death section. Now, remember in the past, viruses have always been put in the section two, which was the contributing factor section. And so did they really change the guideline? No, they don't specifically say in the guidance that now we're doing this, but many, many times in the document, they, uh, they, they specifically say that you should put COVID-19 if it's suspected or if it's confirmed by a test in Section 1. So you've always, as a doctor or medical examiner, had the option to put a virus in Section 1, but it was never done that way. So this was kind of a genius move to kind of crime, the medical community to start using the death certificates in a different way. And so, by the way, let me also just say, if you, if you didn't pick that up, uh, you could just be presumed to have COVID and list that on the death certificate. It wasn't actually necessary to even have a positive test. So essentially you could have just, I don't know, had the sniffles in the waiting room and then they put you on the uh, ventilator and the remdesivir and bam, you're dead. And, uh, There you go. You don't even need a COVID uh, test. You You are presumed COVID. And now you're part of the stat. So anyway... So anyway, if you look into that one, don't be surprised when you find all the fact checkers and all the debunking and blah blah blah. But if you get the document yourself, you can look it over and uh, you can see that they are really, really, really making damn sure that you're going to list COVID-19 in the cause of death section. So that way, when they come back and they mine all this data, woo wee, they're gonna find a pandemic on their hands because there's gonna be a lot of COVID-19 causing death out there in the world. But it may not just be enough to send around a memo. It may not just be enough to try to convince people nicely to uh, change the way that they report death statistics. Well, how do you really grease the wheels? How do you really get this machine chugging along? Well, you got to use money. You got to use money. It, uh, It makes the world go round. So COVID and money, ooh, they go together perfectly. They're like peanut butter and jelly. And so what did we do? What did we uh, I don't uh it wasn't me. What did the uh, what did the government do? The government cranked up the money printing machine to 11 because you know what? It was an emergency, so we had to print a bunch of money. And by the way, Uh, I think something like half of all the money, half of all the dollars in existence right now were printed essentially during COVID. That's a lot of money. And when I say printed, I don't actually mean like a printing press. That's not really the way money works anymore. It's essentially just ones and zeros on the bank balance sheet. So all they do is type in a little more and voila, we got more money. That's how the scam works. (laughs) It's called fractional reserve banking. We're going to be hearing a lot more about banking. Maybe I'll do that episode next. Anyway, anyway, um, so yeah, we had to give a bunch of money away. We had to get the foot soldiers on board. Where were the foot soldiers? Well, the foot soldiers were in the hospitals. So, so did the hospitals get a bunch of extra money for COVID stuff? Yeah, kind of, kind of. Um, Yeah, they they got 20% extra bonus for uh, COVID, uh, essentially COVID being on the bill. They got a 20% extra. And there's a bunch of people who talked about these huge figures of the the, uh, bank, (laughs) might as well be, the hospital gets $100,000 if you die of COVID or whatever. I couldn't substantiate any of those numbers, but that's not really the big deal. That's not where the big money comes in. The real money, the real money for the hospitals came from the void because there was a massive void in the hospitals when the singular focus became COVID-19. So essentially hospitals got shut down to do anything But COVID-19, their business basically went away, except for this one very, very small part of uh, of the, uh, I guess, population that got COVID. Well. I think it was a very small part, but uh, so anyway, if you're a a hospital administrator or you're on the board of directors for a hospital or something, and and your only customers, which are your patients, your only customers you're allowed to transact with are COVID patients, well, you're going to make damn sure that all the patients that go into that hospital are going to be COVID patients, right? (laughs) Like, you're going to make sure that uh, if the only patients you can see are COVID patients, you're going to get a lot of COVID patients, that's for sure. You're going to make sure there's a lot of presumed COVID going on there, that's for sure. You're not going to just let the business fail, right? Um, you know, because uh, because that's not the way these big businesses work. And hospitals are big businesses. So speaking of big business and hospitals, do you remember the talking point that we heard Hospitals are running at capacity. The hospitals are at capacity. Yeah, well, hospitals are always at capacity. That's how hospitals work. Do you think that they build billion dollar hospitals so that they can be 10% full waiting around for a pandemic? How about 50% full? No that's not the way it works. Of course not. That's not the way it works. These hospitals are massive businesses. And so they are always running them at capacity. They're like hotels. Hotels don't make any money if the rooms aren't booked and that's the way hospitals work. So they're always at capacity. So when all the talking heads on the news were telling us, Oh, the hospitals are at capacity, capacity, capacity. Well, that was just a scare tactic. And uh, remember, they also used uh, the ships. Remember the hospital ships they sailed into to New York? I think they had them in L.A. too. Uh, the convention center called the Javits Center in New York City, they were filling that thing up with hospital beds. And in Central Park, they had tents everywhere. But they never used any of them. <laughs> they never used them. Why not? because the hospitals were at capacity before COVID and the hospitals were at capacity during COVID and the hospitals are still at capacity because that's the way they work. And the ship had to sail away with its head low. It was so sad. It didn't get to be used. Oh, but who made sure, excuse me, who made sure that we even saw those ships because we didn't see any of that stuff. We were all locked in our house. Um, how could we have seen the the ship and the Javits Center and Central Park tents and everything? Well, that was brought to you by the Mockingbird Media. You know, um, the same media that is wholly owned by the pharma companies. If you didn't know, and I believe I mentioned it in the medicine episode, but if you didn't know, Network News is is over 70% of its ad revenue is from drug companies and who benefits from pandemics. It's not you. It's not me. Uh, but the drug companies do. And as they say, he who pays the Piper calls the tune and the tune was COVID and the Pipers were the drug companies. (laughs) So, um, so anyway, um, let's all let's, let's also say, here we go. So let's also say you weren't convinced by the news. So after all that, even the news couldn't get you and, uh, they needed something even better. They needed something. Ooh, that's like, like right there, like right there in your face. Oh, how about a mask? (laughs) How about a mask? Whoa, the psychological implications of a mask, that's like the signal. And it's it's got a historical precedent. You know, it's like a throwback to those those beak masks from the the plague, just rebranded. This time they're blue and they're paper and full of chemicals. But anyway, another story for another day. But everywhere you looked and everyone you saw was like a billboard for disease because they had the mask on their face. The mask was one of the most centrally important aspects of pulling off this scam. They had to have the masks. Oh, the masks met whoever thought of that. Whoever thought of the mask probably got a giant bonus. Uh, and. It wasn't Fauci. It wasn't Fauci. In fact, Fauci was out there in his emails because his emails, there was a FOIA request, and, and they actually have an email where he's telling a, a, a colleague of his, that he's telling a woman that you don't need to wear a mask, masks don't do anything, and it was a bunch of nonsense. That's what his email said. So anyway, it wasn't Fauci that, uh, that came up with the masks, but whoever did, I guarantee they are sitting pretty now. They probably got a big old bonus So, uh, so, so we can't take Fauci's word for it, uh, because he knew the masks were fake. So what do we need? What do we need to show that you need to put a mask on your face? Uh, I guess we're going to have to go to the studies and the biggest study, the biggest study that was ever done on these masks did you know that it didn't show a benefit? It didn't show any kind of benefit, but you may have thought it did because you were told that it did. And again, this is going to be a little bit difficult one to explain, but I'm going to do my best. So the uh, there was a study done in Bangladesh by Yale, uh, second uh, mention of Yale so far in this podcast, and This study was of 400,000 participants, so it was a big study, and it was a double-blind controlled trial, which is, as they say, the gold standard of medical trials. Now, I'm not sure anything is gold standard in medicine these days, but that's what they say. This was a gold standard medical trial. And so what did they tell us? They told us that the result of this gold standard double blind controlled trial of 400,000 participants showed that there was an 11% benefit by wearing a mask. You had an 11% benefit by wearing a mask. So that was significant. So that means you should put the mask on your face, right? Well, let's see. How did they get that number? Well, here we go. Let's get into the data. The control group, which was the group that they essentially signed up for the trial and didn't do anything with, they had no training. They didn't wear any masks. Within that group, nine out of every 1,000 participants got a positive COVID test. So it's 0.9% or essentially nine-tenths of 1%, or almost 1%. That's how many people had a positive COVID test for doing nothing at all with no mask. Now, drumroll please, in the study group or the group that was wearing the mask, the group that were trained to wear the mask properly, well, in that group, eight out of every 1,000 participants got a positive COVID test or 0.8% or eight tenths of 1% or basically 1%. So there you go. No mask, nine out of every 1,000 people and wearing a mask, eight out of every 1,000 people. Gee, that doesn't really make any sense. So you mean to tell me if you wear a mask, it's a 1% chance. And if you don't wear a mask, it's a 1% chance. So how in the world did they get an 11% benefit that you were told about? Well, that's because nine is 11% more than eight. That's it. That's how they came to that conclusion. And it is called a relative risk. And it's essentially just a way to lie with statistics. So both options, you had about a 1% chance, but they told you, That you had an 11% benefit for wearing a mask. So let me just give you another one of my stupid scenarios, if I may. Let's say that your office has two sandwich shops right next door. And one sandwich shop uh, on one side sells sandwiches that nine out of every 1,000 of those sandwiches have some shit in them. It's disgusting. I know, but let's just say nine times out of a thousand at the one sandwich shop at sandwich shop. A, you get a little bit of shit in your sandwich (laughs) and let's just say the sandwich shop on the other side. Um, now you got to You got to really kind of sacrifice to get this other sandwich at sandwich shop B because that sandwich is a hundred dollars. It's a hundred dollars, but but if you go to Sandwich Shop B, only eight out of every 1,000 sandwiches have some shit in them. <laughs> what would you do? Would you, would you buy the inconvenient, expensive, and, um, and uh, the, the $100 sandwich for that benefit? No, I don't think you would. I don't think you'd eat at either sandwich shop, right? Because it's, it would be ridiculous to think that one of those is better than the other. You wouldn't probably have sandwiches at all. Maybe you'd have bat soup. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But what I do know, what I do know is those who were reporting that 11% number, they were being dishonest. They were being totally dishonest because they had an agenda they weren't telling us about because if they gave you those numbers, you would have seen that that study is just a giant shit sandwich and you wouldn't have put a mask on your face because it was stupid. But I think the real figure, I think the real statistic they were interested in is that a hundred percent of people thought that they were living with an airborne deadly disease so that they would put on the mask. That's what they were going for. They were going for that hundred percent statistic. The mask wearers. That's what they were going for. How about another one? How about six feet apart? Remember, you had to you had to stand on the stickers on the ground. You gotta stand six feet apart because COVID. And, uh, <laughs> how did they, how exactly did they calculate six feet? Was it because, uh, the airborne virus COVID will get you at five feet, but not at seven. Is it because they had robust scientific studies to show how far a, a virus particle can travel once it sneezes from your face? No, no, that's not how they came up with it. The way they came up with it was just what people would accept. Uh, they they knew that people wouldn't accept 12 feet. And uh, they didn't think three feet was enough. And they thought, you know, six feet is, uh, is, is something that people will accept. And it kind of translates over to the metric system. You know, two meters, six feet, whatever. The people are stupid. They'll do it. Put the stickers on the floor. So yeah, there you go. No science. That was just what you would accept. And that's how they chose it for you. That's why they got you to stand on the sticker. But let's just say, let's just say that that didn't work either. And let's just say that none of that so far got you. Let's say that you caught on to the fact that it was only old people dying. And let's just say that you knew that the average age of death from COVID was 80 years old. And you're like, wait a second. The average age of death in the U.S. is 77. How can the average age of death for a virus be older than the average age you're supposed to die anyway? That doesn't make any sense at all. So let's just say you uh, had gotten there and you're like, well, I'm not worried about that. It's only these old people dying in droves. So, um, So you weren't scared, despite the masks, despite the six feet. You weren't having it well they were going to get you. And, uh, does anyone remember Kawasaki disease? Does anyone remember Kawasaki disease? This was something they tried to roll out because they're like, shit, we're losing the narrative. Ah, they know it's old people. Give them the Kawasaki disease. <laughs> and, uh, what Kawasaki disease was or what it is, even though there's scant evidence to show it's even a real thing, but what it is was it was like, the the thing that covid was going to cause in young people and children ooh covid's going to give you the kawasaki disease so if you're not in your house yet you better go back in your house you better turn on the news and shut up <laughs> and so yeah they wanted people to be scared and and it was just like a running cover narrative for them and uh it was just ridiculous like like remember the other ones flu rona does anyone remember flu rona <laughs> They tried to say that like the, the viruses were going to join forces or something and attack you. And they actually called it flu Rona. That's how cheesy these people are. Oh, <laughs> uh, how about the, uh, the little vials of smallpox? Remember they're like, Oh, we found these vials of smallpox. They might get out. <laughs> maybe, maybe, you know what? May- I've got it. Maybe they became monkeypox. Maybe they did get out. And we all know monkeys hate gays, so that's obviously what happened, right? Oh, my God. It's so silly. It's so silly. If it wasn't so sad, it would be hilarious. I still think it's hilarious, but you know, whatever. And um, all these things, all these Kawasaki, Fluorona, Monkeypox, it's all the same. It's the same playbook. They've been using this with swine flu and Legionella and Zika and Ebola. It's all the same story. It's all the same thing. It's all a marketing campaign. These things aren't life-threatening viruses that float through the air just waiting to kill you. No, that's not what they are. They're, they're a marketing campaign. They're just meant to keep you scared. They do want to kill you, (laughs) but it's not the viruses. It's, it's, uh, it's your government. Sorry sorry to inform you. (laughs) Anyway, uh, flu Rona, flu Rona, my favorite one. Boy, did we dodge a bullet there. Weren't we lucky? Weren't we lucky that one didn't happen because, Because we can all thank the good Lord that the flu took the last couple of years off. The flu took some years off because, you know, as as viruses do, you know, as as unliving and unthinking um, strands of RNA tend to do, maybe they just went down to to Florida with all the with all the other uh, retiring viruses. Uh, but anyway, flu didn't bother us for the last couple of years. Wasn't that nice? And you know why that is? It's not because it it was, it was vacationing in Florida. No, uh, it's because the, the tests can't tell the difference between flu and COVID. Um, and that's because the tests can't tell the difference between anything. (laughs) These, these viral assay tests, they don't work (laughs) if, if you're not aware. And, um, this was proven true by the president of Tanzania, this guy named John Ma- Maga Magafuli Magufuli Mag full of five five six. I don't know. Uh, anyway, John Magafuli, this guy sent a a bunch of samples from his country to have them tested for COVID nineteen, and a bunch of them came back positive. But within those positive tests, (laughs) there was uh, some goats, uh, some sheep, uh, a pawpaw fruit, and some motor oil that all tested positive for COVID-19. So, yes, my friends, it was a terrible, frightening illness that even infected our motor oil. Oh, our cars are getting sick. (laughs) Oh, it's just ridiculous. I know. I know. But that actually happened. I'll post a link to that one in the show notes too. But the good news, the good news, um, I shot a beautiful uh, buck this year and, and before, so I because I'm a bow hunter, as I've said. So I shot this beautiful buck. I took him to the processor, which is essentially a butcher. And before they would even touch him, essentially, they by law had to perform two COVID tests on my dead deer. And I inform you with great pleasure that my deer was not COVID positive. And so by my merciful action of shooting him through the heart with an arrow I saved him from the awful chance of dying from covid oh dear <laughs> oh so anyway and it's funny because when i was at the processor they told me that the uh, the state will only accept these COVID tests from the deer if there's no blood on them. And what they're required to do is swab the nose of the deer. But anyone who's ever deer hunted knows that blood comes out of their nose uh, when they die. So there's absolutely no way they could even get the test as the state wanted it anyway. But there you go. It's just more of the COVID lunacy. What are they doing giving dead deer two COVID tests? it's absolutely ridiculous. It's preposterous. It's crazy. And, uh, it's unfortunate that we all lived through this nonsense, but, but we have to know it backwards and forwards and up and down, or else it's going to happen again because they're out there talking about it again. Bill Gates has said it. Bill Gates has said, well, they'll take the next one seriously. The next one is coming and the next one's going to be worse. Yeah. How do you know that bill? Is it because you knew this one was coming? Anyway, let's wrap this thing up. Let's recap. Uh, there There was foreknowledge. There was scenarios that were planned that included China, that included coronaviruses, that included bats. And you remember Fauci made that perfectly accurate prediction to Donald Trump that he would see an infectious virus pandemic in his presidency. So there you go. The foreknowledge was there. And then we had the Chinese videos, we had the gene sequence that China so benevolently bestowed upon us. We had the wet market with the bat soup. We had the lab in Wuhan uh, which is essentially the red herring to make you to make you know that that's where the virus came from. We had all the bribes that were paid, the bought and paid for epidemiologists, the media, the hospitals, and it was all brought to you by the money printing. And then we had the fake studies, the fake tests, the fake death statistics. And uh, then we have the massive budget increases, which I just mentioned, the unprecedented pharma profits, and the greatly increased biomedical surveillance and security state. So there you go. All of those things that I just mentioned can happen without there being any new virus. All they need are the appropriate information campaigns and liars and people willing to accept bribes. And people, quite frankly, who are just dumb enough to think it's happening. You know, we talked about it in the moon landing episode, but all those people in the control room, they actually thought that two, two guys were landing on the moon and walking around because all they were looking at were their screens. And that's all we were supposed to look at too, was our TV screens. And they were going to tell us what was going on outside. So it kind of sounds like another moon landing. It kind of sounds like 9-11 part two, the medical boogaloo. But this is what we got over the last three years. So maybe all this stuff was just a giant coincidence, or maybe it was a well orchestrated um, operation to create something in our minds where nothing existed in the physical world. Yeah, maybe it was monsters floating around in the air. Or maybe it was just alchemy performed by the modern-day sorcerers. I'll let you decide. I'll let you decide that. Anyway, that is my presentation on COVID, the scam. There are a couple of books for this week. And now, these books I really liked. uh, And I read them during COVID. I think they are still... Um, they're still worth a read now if you haven't read them. So, the books this week are The Real Anthony Fauci by Robert F Kennedy Jr. and the great thing about this book is that it's kind of timeless because it parallels the COVID-19 and the HIV AIDS narrative. I think everyone should read this book. It's really eye-opening and I really like Robert F Kennedy Jr. I think he does great work on the vaccine front and his book is highly sourced and I think there's something like 2000 um footnotes and 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 sources in it. So it's a very well-researched book. I highly recommend it. The next one is the Faucian Bargain. This book came out uh, right kind of in the middle of COVID. It's by Steve Dace and uh, Todd Erzin. And it's a real short read, and it came out during the fog of war, so it was a really great in-the-moment read. But the nice thing about it is it's a quick read, it's a short book, and um, I think you'll you'll enjoy it still today if you want to read that book. Now, Steve Dace just came out with a new book. It's on my list. I own it. I haven't read it yet. It's called The Rise of the Fourth Reich. And um, I'm really excited to read that one. I'll put a link to that one too. And um, by the way, Steve Dace is out there doing great work. He is kind of one of these more right-wing commenters, but he has been the most accurate on COVID, the most honest on COVID as far as I could tell. So anyway, there you go. That is COVID-19, the scam. Thank you for listening. And let's just remember that... All of this propaganda, it only works on us if we believe in it. Darling. darling,
1: darling, 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 don't you hear me trying to talk to you, baby? I'm trying to tell you that if you want to sell this love that I have for you, then this is one thing, darling, I know you've got to do. You gotta believe, come on. Now. Believe in me. No matter what I do, baby, you gotta believe, i No matter what I say, you gotta trust me. Sometimes Trust me